0: Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. The greatest story ever told. If you saw our reader board out there, if you've seen our Facebook event, the greatest story ever told. Uh, Welcome to our church on Palm Sunday. So glad you chose to join us. Um, I'm glad you chose. This church to come to, like I say sometimes, I know there's a lot of churches you could come to, and I'm really glad you chose this one. We believe you're you're here for a reason, and we've prayed for you, that uh, God would speak to you and give you what you need. Uh, So, really glad that you are here today. Uh, Throughout the first uh, few months of the year, we're already four months into the year, into the fourth month, we've been talking about uh, this motto we have. You saw it on the little shelf out there. Uh, You heard it around, if we love the family, we can change the world. We believe that that is something that God has told us to do. Um, and we're grateful that you have chosen to be, to be here as part of our family today. If you brought your family, thank you so much. Even if you have not much family and you came here and you're a part of our church just for today. Uh, we're so grateful that you came and so grateful to have you here. And we've, like I said, we believe that God would speak to you. So grateful for it. I want to give a couple shout-outs This morning, uh, one for Pastor Chase for the message he brought last weekend. Uh, He spoke last weekend, and it was awesome. It was timely and relevant. Uh, He challenged us with this question. The question was, what step of faith has God called us to take, but we only meet him with excuses? It's an awesome message. Uh, If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to it, whichever way is best for you. You can watch the video on Facebook or YouTube, find it on our uh, podcasts, any of those things would work just fine. Also, Pastor Wendy's not here today. I'm sure she's probably listening, but thanks to Pastor Wendy, who spoke on Wednesday night. Uh, She also said something that I thought was uh, profound, kind of put into words something I've always been trying to put into words. She said this, what if instead of saying, God, will you come with me today, we ask God, where are we going today? Well, that's a deep thought. It was awesome, man. She just put into words exactly what I'm always uh, thinking and feeling and trying to get. It was awesome. So all that, you can't go back and listen to that one. It wasn't recorded. You just missed out. So don't miss Wednesday night, I guess is the moral of the story there. (laughs) Um, Man, it's been a whirlwind of first few months of 2023. I mean, lives are busy. Your life is busy. My life is busy. But also in our church, not just because we have lots going on, because all churches have lots going on, um, but also because lots of you have started coming recently, and we're just really grateful you're here, in our prayer, no matter what, any Sunday, any Wednesday, anytime our doors are open, is that you would find community here. You would find uh, people you have something in common with and that you can walk alongside. Most of all, and you'll hear us talk about this over and over again. Most of all, our prayer is that all of you would find a relationship with the living God. You'd find a relationship with the living God. Jesus is alive. He is not in that grave. The stone was rolled away, and that's why we're here this morning. Of course, next week is Easter. Thank you, Pastor Chase. Uh, Next week is Easter. Uh, For this week, the next two, we're centering around this theme, the greatest story ever told. Greatest story ever told. For our entire lives, all of us are fascinated by stories. Everyone likes a good story. Uh, There's a lot of research that tells us how beneficial it is to begin reading to kids when they're first born. My wife uh, is... Like, one of the biggest readers I've ever, I think the biggest reader I've ever met in my life, and you better believe we do a lot of reading in our house. Um, I put the kids to bed a lot this time of year, and I just, I can't even do all the reading she does. I mean, it's multiple books and multiple chapters, and, uh, you know, I just do the basic part of it, even though I really love to read. But because the research says that, that it's really good to read to your kids early, we start reading them stories uh, before they're even old enough to respond, Right? They say you should do that, so you start reading them stories. Some people do it when they're in the womb still, right? This is such a fun part of being a parent, right, to read your kids' stories. I would say most of the time. It's really fun. It depends on what time you're doing it. If you're doing it like 7 or 8 p.m. before bedtime, that's pretty fun. If you're doing it like 2.30 or 3 in the morning, it's not as fun. (laughs) Uh, John 4, my son, I don't think he's in here right now, but... Um, Both of our boys, they were terrible sleepers, awful sleepers for the first year of their life. Now they're awesome, but they were just as bad as a kid can be at sleeping. They were that. And uh, John 4, he went through this stretch where he would always wake up in the middle of the night um, just because. And uh, he loved this book, this Dr. Seuss book. I think it's called Ten Ten Apples Up on Top about the guys that come in and they stack the apples. (laughs) Something silly like that. Man, he loved that book. And I would go in there in the middle of the night. Chandra kind of would take the later shift, and I would take the earlier one, like up till 2.30 or 3. And I'd go in there, and I'd turn the lamp on, you know, and I'd lift him up out of his crib. He always had the footy jammies, and he would sit by me. He had these big, if you ever see a picture, next time one comes up, I'll post it for you of John Ford. when he was like these huge, giant chipmunk cheeks. It's the cutest little thing. And he would sit there. And uh, the only way to get him to calm down and go back to sleep was to read him 10 apples up on top. Like two or three or four or five times. <laughs> you know, then I would do the classic parent thing, quietly put him back in there. He also loved, John 4 loved the stories of Thomas the Train. Everyone ever seen Thomas the Train? Oh, yeah, Thomas the Train. Thomas the Train. Luke, man, he loves, our son Luke, he loves dinosaurs and animals. Anything with dinosaur or an animal or The best thing ever is animals fighting. If the animals are fighting, then Luke's your man. He loves those things. If you ride around in the car with Luke, he's going to ask you, Dad, who do you think will win between a gorilla and a black mamba? There's random things like that. That's Luke for you. As we get older, though, our fascination with stories, it might change, but it never goes away. Everyone loves stories. As I got a little bit older, I started to love these books. Maybe some of you love them as well. And they would call these books techno-thrillers. You know, a techno-thriller would be like Hunt for Red October, Flight of the Old Dog, uh, Red Storm Rising. Flight of the Old Dog is about this B-52 plane that they retrofit to make like a super plane. No one else thinks that's interesting? That's, I think it's awesome. <laughs> Red Storm Rising is uh, World War III, possible World War three. It's from the 80s. Uh, Hunt for Red October, you know, Submarine. You, that, that one's a movie, so you might have heard of that one. I read that. I was a reader, too. I, liked, I read Hunt for Red October when I was eight or nine. Now, for some people, you're more likely to watch a movie than read a book. You still love stories. Maybe you don't love reading, but you love watching movies. And the concept is the same. I think the concept is we love interacting with something where we don't know how it's going to end. Sometimes a story is so good they will read it or watch it over and over again, even if we know exactly what's going to happen. There's this book I love. I think I mentioned it last time I talked about books called All the Light We Cannot See. That's a more modern book. Um, it's a historical fiction one about World War II. I oh mean, it's the only book I've ever read where I read it before I go to sleep and then I see it in my dreams. It's so descriptive. I've read that one several times. I love the movie Ocean's Eleven for exactly the reason that you never know what's going to happen. Remember Ocean's Eleven. I remember going to see that in the theater with my friends, and I wasn't a big movie guy, and I was like shrug, but man, loving it. As soon as it started, I loved the music. The thing about Ocean's Eleven is every time you think you have it figured out, man, it changes in the blink of an eye. Man, that movie takes so many left turns, and I've seen it private 10 times, and there's still stuff that surprises me. Now, most of the time, in a good story, any good story has a good antagonist or a good enemy, Right? Now, if you remember Thomas the Train, Thomas the Train's enemies are the diesel engines. Specifically, diesel, diesel 10. John was afraid of diesel 10 for a while. It was this engine with a claw on the top. I don't know why he had a claw, but he did. In Hunt for Red October and Red Storm Rising, both these books I love, it's the Russians. Right? And this was the 80s, right? So the Russians were the bad guys. Um, in Ocean's 11, there's an enemy. It's the greedy casino owner, right? They, they're trying to rob the casino owner. How's it pertain to church? Well, this morning we're talking about peace and plot twists and surrender. Resuming in on Palm Sunday, a small part of what I believe is the greatest story that's ever been told. Because it's the story of life and death and resurrection. And it's the defeat of the most fearsome enemy ever known, and that would be death itself. One of the greatest parts of this story, because of what we are about to read in in Matthew, the greatest story ever told is one that you and I get to play a direct role in. 2023 on earth, we get to play a direct role in the greatest story ever told. Like we said, though, the best stories are the ones where we aren't sure what's going to happen next. And today I want to ask you, what if the story is not what we thought it was? But at the same time, it's better than we ever imagined. What if, not what you thought, but at the same time, better. You can turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Matthew chapter 21. Um, We're going to get ready to read this passage that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. We traditionally call this story the triumphal entry. Jesus at this point, what we're about to read... Uh, he is less than a week away from going to the cross Good Friday and then rising again on Sunday. And uh, Jesus, he has done many of the more well-known parts of what we read throughout the New Testament. Uh, he has done some of these awesome things. He has fed the multitudes with the boys' lunch, not once, but twice. He has done the incredible miracle of walking on water. Sometime I'm gonna speak just on, on that story. I love that story. One of the things I love about it is uh, if, you, if you look at what they believed at this time, this was one of the things that convinced the disciples probably that Jesus was God. Jesus has performed many, many healings, all kinds of healings uh, throughout the New Testament. And the Easter story is one that you may have heard before if you're sitting in church today, if you're listening. But it's also one of those stories that's worth revisiting over and over and over again. It's the greatest story ever told. So let's read Together this morning, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, I'm reading to you this morning at the NIV about peace, plot twists, and surrender. 21 verse 1 says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Page on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her, col- her colt by her. Untie them. And bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. As we unpack this passage a little bit this morning, I want to point out to you where we see these things we're talking about, peace and surrender. And how the story looked different than the people that were there thought it would. You know, it's really interesting the way this story takes a turn in these verses. With Jesus coming into town, coming into Jerusalem... As we saw towards the end of that passage that we just looked at, there were crowds that were cheering him. You saw the things they were saying, same things we were singing today, Hosanna. Now, the reason it's really interesting is because Jesus had been spending the time leading up to this laying pretty low. Jesus had become unpopular with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He'd been doing a whole bunch of his ministry far away from Jerusalem. It wasn't safe for him there. But now he was in this this little town called Bethpage, and Bethpage was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. By the way, Matthew's account, the one we just read, is not the only one uh, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's actually recorded in all four Gospels. And if you go piece some of it together, what the Gospel of John tells us is that these people were excited about the arrival of Jesus because of one specific event. In John chapter 11, if you go read it, we see that just prior to this, Jesus had just come from the outskirts of Jerusalem to the outskirts of Jerusalem, and he had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had died, been dead for a few days, and Jesus came and raised him. Now small miracles out in far-off villages, those are one thing. Man, but raising a man from the dead that close to Jerusalem, that's quite another. And because it's so close to Jerusalem, many people would have heard about this, right? These people, the Jews in Jerusalem, they were living in a Roman occupation, and their hope and belief was that someone was going to come, they were going to come with power, and that person was going to deliver them. Now, here's where the, the plot twist comes to the story. You see, Jesus, he deliberately pursued peace instead of political power. Like we said, every, everybody has an antagonist. Jesus, he deliberately pursued peace instead of political power. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me again. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Jesus has come to the point in the story where the plot is about to thicken. I remember Hunt for Red October, the plot thickens when you find out that uh, the Russians with this big, crazy submarine, it turns out that they want to defect to the United States. That's the big plot twist. Sorry I spilled it for you. It's been out since 1985. You should have read it by now, sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> but Jesus has come to the point in the story where the plot's about to thicken. You know, this is the part... About where the hero uh, has been planning, how they're going to conquer, and then they get ready to reveal their master plan. And Jesus, if you read the gospels, by now he's got everything he needs. He obviously has supernatural power. He's just raised a man from the dead. He's at the right place to really start making waves. He's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He has a crowd of people that are hanging on his everywhere. Not only those that are with him, but those that are coming for Passover. This is the part in in the story where it looks like the villain is about to succeed and the hero shows up dramatically at the last minute and they loudly announce their clever plan to come in with their army what does jesus do like i said he pursued peace instead of political power so what does jesus do sends his friends to go get a donkey like i got it all set up hey guys i need a donkey What if the story looks different than we thought it would? So Jesus, he sends two of of his disciples to get the donkey. We don't know which of the disciples Jesus sends. None of the four gospels reveals it, so we don't know. Can you imagine the response of the disciples, though? Right? They're walking in. They're thinking it's going to be this big crazy thing. And Jesus says, hey, you two, I need you to go get me a donkey. Go to this guy's house, this place. Please go get me a donkey. And they say, so that's, that's it. We just walk in. We walk up to the guy and say, please give us your donkey. And that's all there is to it. But here we have something else that's pretty common in a great story. And Jesus gives them, for the lack of a better term, he gives them a password, right? The password is, the Lord needs them. He says, go find this guy, say this password, which is, the Lord needs them. And they'll give you the donkey. Now, we know from the accounts of Jesus in the garden, which we'll read a little bit later, we know from that account that at least Peter carried a dagger with him, right? Peter takes the dagger, slices off the guard's ear. So I can imagine, I mean, if it was me and Peter was not one of the two going along, and he was the one carrying the dagger, I can imagine saying, hey, Peter, before we go to the guy's house and say, please give us your donkey, can we borrow your dagger just in case? (laughs) We might need it to get back here. I mean, I know the Lord said to do this, but can we borrow the dagger just in case? Maybe they figured out that the story is going to look different than they thought it might. Maybe they have it. Judging by Peter's response with the dagger a week later, we don't really know. We know some details. There was two There was a mother and a colt, and, and he was going to ride on the colt, but they brought the mother along to keep the colt safe. We, don't, we also don't know how the people that had the donkey knew to let it go. The traditionally held belief in our circles is that God divinely spoke to the people that had the donkey and Jesus just knew where to send the disciples. There are some scholars that think that Jesus, on a previous trip, might have arranged with these people uh, that he was going to come for the donkey later on and that they would get it back. Either way, it brings us back around to this plot twist of everything being set up for him to come and conquer and him deciding to send his friends for the donkey. Hmm. What was happening in this moment, this week, over 2,000 years ago, was a turning point of the story of God and his people. A turning point in the greatest story ever told. Because God's people, the Jews, they had been asking this burning question for centuries. God's people, the Jews, they would have known this prophecy from Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, they've been waiting hundreds of years since this prophecy had been written down. They'd memorized it. They'd been waiting hundreds of years for their king to come. They were tired of being under the thumb of the Romans. And they were certain that their king was going to come with a vengeance and their king was going to overthrow the government. They were certain that that's what he was going to do. This is why Matthew quotes the prophecy in verse 5 there. Where we saw, you can see almost the exact quote. Say to your daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, the king had come. Jesus had come and was fulfilling the prophecy given hundred years before. He was fulfilling it before their eyes. But Jesus had come to overthrow an enemy much greater than Caesar, Pontius Pilate, all characters we're going to read about. But Jesus had come to defeat and had his eyes set on death itself. Once again, the plot twist. Because the people, they expected earthly deliverance, but instead they received eternal life. They were thinking government overthrown, but they received was eternal life. Here in 2023, 2,000 years later, we are often asking this same question that they were asking, right? They would have known this prophecy, and they would have been asking, when is the Lord coming? And often we are asking the same thing. So we get up and go about our lives. Lord, where are you? When are you coming? When are you coming to my house? When are you coming to my job? When are you coming to move mightily in my life? Can you not see, Lord, what I'm going through? And what Jesus, I believe, wants all of us to know this morning is that he's often in the process of defeating an enemy that's bigger than our eyes can see. See, on Palm Sunday, the first one, he was in the process of defeating something that they didn't know about. And he's often in the process of defeating an enemy that's bigger than our eyes can see. And today, in our everyday lives, our role is in step with what the disciples did as Jesus prepared to enter Jerusalem. Look again at verses 6 and 7 really quick. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Now, this is just small details. What's being described here seems at first a little bit unremarkable, right? These two were the guys that Jesus had sent to go get the donkey. They're, you know, a lot of times in the Gospels, they say uh, they use interesting ways to, to describe the disciples. And in here, there's no disciple whom Jesus loved, right, which is John. That's the way he describes himself. There's no rock on which I will build my church. That's how he describes Peter another spot. No, there's none of that. It's just the two guys who went to get the donkey. These disciples, though, whether they know how to handle it or not, they know who this man is. They've walked with him. And they've talked with him. They've seen this man. They've seen him tread on the water, and they've seen him raise the dead. So they do the best thing that they can think of for someone who they are beginning to see as royalty. And verse 7 says, they take their coats, they place their coats on the donkey for Jesus to sit on. Two guys doing a simple act, but simply they are playing their part in the greatest story ever told. To you and I, friends, it may seem like our role on this earth, in six, seven, eight billion people, however many people are on the earth now, it may seem like our role is a little bit insignificant. After all, right, we are just the ones who we get up and we go to work faithfully each day. You go, punch your time card, go out, you come home, you do the chores, you take care of the family. We are just the ones, right, who we go about our daily lives and we go volunteer down here at the rescue mission or you send them a check each month. We're just the ones who come to church and we open the door and we hand them the little bulletin. Try and greet people with a handshake or a hug in the joy of the Lord. We're just the ones who go and we take care of our elderly parents, our grandparents. We make sure their prescriptions are filled and we go see them at the home where they live. We're just the ones who, like Brad, one of our board members, he goes down and he volunteers at the VA hospital. We're just the ones who faithfully come and every Wednesday we pray. But like the disciples, friends, when we know Christ, we are participating in the story of bringing heaven to earth each day. Jesus was walking in Jerusalem, bringing salvation. He's brought salvation to this earth. And when we participate in this story, no matter how small our part is, we're part of bringing heaven to earth. Now, you might be the person who feel like you're just retrieving the donkey. Or you might be building the International Space Station. But there are not any insignificant participants in the kingdom of God repeat that for you. What you're doing is not insignificant. There's no insignificant parts in the kingdom of God. We see next that the, the people in this growing crowd, they begin to follow the example of the disciples. Uh, look at verses eight and nine. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, "Hosanna to the Son of David." Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. The, this crowd that's cheering Jesus, celebrating him. Again, they, some would have been coming with him. Some would have just been coming for Passover and they meet together there on the outskirts. They see the example of the disciples and they begin to lay their coats down on the road. This is an example. We're not going to go read the whole thing right now. It's an example they would have taken from a scripture in Second kings, kings chapter 9, where they lay their coats down for Israelite kings, the road. In this crowd, in this moment, they have decided the one who's going to fulfill the prophecy and become the righteous and victorious king is in their midst. So they begin shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna is a Hebrew expression. It most literally means save now or Lord, save me now. They begin to go and quote Psalm chapter 118, which sings, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But remember that question we asked at the beginning, right? What if the story isn't quite what we thought it was? Because here comes another one of those plot twists. Because those people who were on the road that day on the outskirts of Jerusalem, they remembered really well the beginning of Zechariah 9.9. Right, The part about the king being righteous and victorious. But they didn't remember as clearly the next couple of lines. Remember what those were? Lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, even the foal of a donkey. See, it was significant that that's how he came to town because a donkey was not something that a king rode. A donkey was ridden by a priest... Or a merchant, maybe a really well thought of just regular person, but certainly not by a king. And if we keep reading in Zechariah chapter 9, we'd see that the king on the donkey is contrasted with a king riding on a chariot or a war horse. And the king that was coming to save, uh, according to Zechariah, was the first on the donkey, not the second with the war horse. Hmm. You see the people, they were looking for destruction and conquest, but what Jesus brought with him into town that day were peace and surrender. Jesus brought peace and surrender. And the great plot to his friends, both then and now, 2,000 years later, is that the king of all the earth has come as the prince of peace. The king of all the earth has come as the prince of peace. He's here with us today. And in our lives, we often are asking that same question that the Jewish people were asking that day. And that question is, Lord, are you coming to rescue us soon? And our expectation is that he will come with a raging fire, a bolt of lightning, pounding the table, rightfully demanding what is his, to be given to him immediately. And Jesus does come when we call. Don't make any mistake about it. He comes. But instead, he brings peace in the midst of the storm. He brings amazing love in the face of death. See, friends, what if the story looks different than we ever thought, but the ending is better uh, than we ever could have imagined? We've seen the plot twists, and we've seen how Jesus came really peacefully. And Jesus came on the vehicle of a regular person instead of that of a king. And now we come to the surrender part. Let's finish today by reading a Verses 10 and 11 together once more. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We mention pretty often when we talk about Jesus on earth, it's important to understand and always remember that uh, Jesus was fully God and fully man when he was on earth. He wasn't one or the other while he was on earth, but he was all of both. And the disciples and the people in the crowd, they weren't the only ones who would have known uh, the prophecy from Zechariah. The disciples would have known, the crowd would have known, but they weren't the only ones that would have known. You see, Jesus himself, because he's fully God and fully man, he would have known it as well. Went through the same rites of passage as all the Jewish children. Have the scriptures memorized. And Jesus, as he rode into town that day, he surely knew what it was, it was at a stake as everything played out before him. As Jesus approached the outskirts of Jerusalem in the days just before this, and he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, Jesus knew when he went and did that that the news about him was going to spread. When he sent his friends to do something that seemed so insignificant, when he sent his friends to get that donkey that somehow the owner knew would be needed one way or the other. And they brought it back and they put their coats on it. You see, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen when he climbed on that donkey. When he heard the adulation of the crowd and they began to shout, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when he rides into the city, Jesus knew that a painful death awaited him but he also knew that a lost humanity, that's you and me, that we needed him. And so Jesus, he embraces surrender. He willingly rides into the city. He's hearing the people around him cheer at him. Lord, save us now. He's acknowledging for the first time on this big of a human and public scale that he was the one who was coming in the name of the Lord. And he did that knowing full well that in five days they were going to turn on him. We'll talk about it next week. But he did that knowing full well that in five days they were going to be calling for Barabbas the murderer to be released instead of him. The king who'd come on a donkey. And instead of calling down the power from heaven that the Bible says was available to him, he would willingly surrender his life for those people. And he would willingly surrender his life for you and for me. You see, one more plot twist comes in the fact that the one who knew no sin would soon become sin for me and you. The one who knew no sin would become sin for us. Jesus still had a lot to do between now and Good Friday. He would go from here and he would cleanse the temple. He would go on to teach in vivid detail about the kingdom of God. He had everyone's attention. The whole city was listening now. And Jesus would talk about the future and he'd have a last supper with his friends. We didn't take communion today. You probably noticed, but we'll do it next week at the end of service. He'd have a last supper with his friends during which he'd show them how to do communion and he'd tell them, do this in remembrance of me and proclaim his death until he comes again. This morning as we get ready to close Some of you might be asking the same question that the people in Jerusalem were asking that day. Lord, when are you coming? When are you coming? And friends, the answer is he's here with us today. You might be here, you might be listening online, hearing the podcast, you might be asking, God, when are you coming? And he's here with you today. He's here in your home, he's here in your car, wherever you're hearing this. He's here with you today. You might be wondering when exactly... Uh, the story is going to come together. The hero is going to show up and Jesus is going to come and he's going to smash your enemies. <laughs> but he's here this morning to win our hearts with his perfect peace. That perfect perfect peace I love to pray over my life and your life, my family's life each week, that perfect peace that defies all understanding, that perfect peace that doesn't make any sense. You bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. We're almost done. You might be here and you Might be listening, and you might just be really tired of battling every day. Like we talked about getting up, doing the same thing over and over again. And what Jesus is saying to us today, the example that He showed us when He rode into town, He went to the cross, is that all we must do is surrender to the plan of the Father. Now, Jesus did the most important thing. He surrendered his life to save other people, and because he did that, we don't have to. We don't have to sacrifice our life for others. Jesus has done that for us, and he's done that for every person that will ever live. We only need to surrender our thoughts and our plans to him today. And we only need to trust that when we surrender our thoughts and our plans and our very life to him, that he'll bring our hearts to life. And this morning, friends, The Lord wants to make sure uh, that our hearts are brought to life. I want to give you a chance this morning. We don't like to go too many Sundays without doing this. If you are here, I'm actually going to give you a few moments to be quiet. And then I'm going to ask. But if you're here this morning and um, you need to uh, accept the Lord for the first time. You've never met him. You don't know Jesus. Never accepted him into your life. Or you're here today and you have before. But you haven't spoken with him in a long time. And you're far away from him. And you need to rededicate your life today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Not yet. But for every one of us in this place, I would encourage you, take this 15, 30 seconds as Victoria Place quietly and just um, allow the Lord to speak into your heart what it is uh, we need to surrender to him, what areas we might need to allow him to change his story if he wants to. Take a few moments and do that. Let the Lord speak to you. Yes, Lord, we believe you, and I know you're speaking to hearts today. Friends, if you're here this morning and um, you need to accept the Lord for the first time and rededicate your life to him, would you just raise your hand right now so I can know to pray for you, to agree with you all across this place. Awesome, I see you. You can put your hands down. Hmm. Friends, we had uh, some raised hands this morning, so here's what we're going to do. We are all going to say a prayer together. Uh, you're going to repeat it after me. And for those of you that raised your hands, um, if you say this prayer, you mean it at the bottom of your heart, uh, the best of your ability, then the Lord is going to come into your heart. Mm. And he might begin to rearrange some things. Uh, but you're going to know him. Be sure that you're going to heaven. Um, so those of you that uh, know the Lord, you know you're going to heaven, would you repeat this prayer with me as we agree in faith with those who raise their hands. Would Everyone in the place, would you say with me, dear Jesus, Thank you for this day. Thank you for Palm Sunday, for coming into my life, for forgiving and making me new. Today, I accept you into my heart. Would you please forgive me of all my sins? I believe in you, and I will serve you. I give you my life. pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. You can look up at me. Friends, if you said that prayer, and there's some of you that raised your hands, you said that prayer, and you meant it, Jesus has just come into your heart. And the word of God says there's a party in heaven because of that today. Uh, Thank you for having faith to pray. Thanks for having uh, the faith and soft enough heart to surrender to the Lord. I encourage you as we go through this week, I'm going to pray over you to release you in a moment, but I encourage you as we go through this week as Engage Boise as this church. Now, look for places to surrender in your life each day. <clears throat> be open to the plot twists that might happen. You never know what might happen when you give your whole heart to the Lord. It might be a wild ride, uh, but a whole bunch of people in this place can attest to the fact that uh, it's the best one to go on. And if you you said that prayer today uh, for the first time or maybe the millionth time, but this was the time you meant it, I have one of these books called Following Jesus. Um, There's a lot in here, but it will tell you all about what it means to follow God, to serve Jesus with your life every day. I encourage you, uh, come find me. I'll hand you one. Come find uh, one of us in the back, and uh, we'll make sure and get you one. Uh, We'd love to hand one to you, talk you through any questions. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, that you willingly surrendered your life for me and for every single person in this place. Lord, thank you for those that uh, raised their hand, prayed a prayer of faith, and I pray today would be the best day of their life. Uh, Lord Jesus, that they would feel your forgiveness in a tangible way this morning. Thank you for hearts and lives surrendered to you. I pray you would go before us. Lord, you would give us divine appointments this week. I pray that all of us would have the chance to invite someone to church on Easter, that you would prepare this place uh, for heaven to touch it next week. That people who just come uh, expecting to do their Easter duty and come to church there once or twice a year, Lord, that you would have an appointment and you'd get a hold of their lives. Mm. Lord, thank you for this day, for your word that is sharp and alive as a two-edged sword. Would you go with us with your grace and your mercy? We pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Friends, thanks for coming to church today. Don't forget uh, to grab, I don't know what I did with mine, one of these invite cards, wherever it is. Pretend I'm holding it. They're all out there on the counter out there. Uh, Make sure to grab some of those things, hand them them to whoever you want. Thanks for coming to church. We'll see you Wednesday or next week. uh, Don't come at 1030 because you won't get what you're expecting. 9 o'clock or 11 next week, and we will see you very soon. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at EngageBoise.com. Have an amazing day.